At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. Today, we have got a world's first for the Genius Recipe Tapes, because we have four guests, the incredible co-hosts of Everything Cookbooks, a podcast all about the behind the scenes of making our favorite cookbooks. And their names will probably be familiar to many of you since they are all accomplished cookbook authors themselves. So I am already a pretty diehard fan of their show, and this conversation was especially timely since I have just gone through the publishing process again myself with the Simply Genius Cookbook, which is out, by the way, so soon, on September 27th, and yes, you can pre-order it right this moment. So, because there are going to be a record four voices in this interview, plus mine, before we get started, I wanted to have each of them introduce themselves. My name is Andrea Nguyen, and I am a cookbook author, and I often write about Asian food, Vietnamese stuff, dumplings, tofu. I also teach cooking classes. I'm Molly Stevens, and I am also a cookbook author, a freelance writer, and a cooking teacher. And I'm on the podcast, one of the co-hosts of the Everything Cookbooks podcast with the rest of you. I'm Kate Leahy and also on Everything Cookbooks podcast. And uh, like you all, I uh, work on cookbooks. I write cookbooks. I work as a collaborator on cookbooks and I also develop recipes. I'm Kristen Donnelly, author of a book called Modern Potluck. And I also collaborate with other authors just like Kate. I develop recipes. I write. I'm a. I'm, I like to call myself a, a multi-passionate person because there. I have. A, I, I like to try doing lots of different things. All right. Now that you all have a better idea of which voice belongs to which guest, let's get into the conversation and hear how Andrea, Molly, Kate, and Kristen began their journey to the Everything Cookbooks podcast. You know, we, we used to get together a number of years ago to talk on a very regular basis, you know, just to talk shop, sort of like a coffee clatch. There was some point where I think I said to Molly, Kate and Kristen, you know, I think that what we talk about may resonate with a lot of other people. Being that the four of us are incredibly curious, we thought, well, what do other people think about, you know, do does it resonate? And do our pains and our <laughs> travails and <laughs> our successes, do our silent cries in the middle of the night? And yes, I'm projecting. <laughs> you know, do other people identify with that? Um, and also, you know, there are a lot of issues in the food publishing world. 
And um, we often don't talk about them. And it seems like such a glamorous thing to do, right? I was like, well, why don't we try to do a podcast too? It'd be kind of a fun project for us to work on together. And so we brainstormed and then we came up with what turned out to be season one of like 22 episodes. And we had such a ball, you know, working on the first season, which was basically about the ins and outs of crafting cookbooks. I think of this show, and I'm, I'm by the way, a super fan. I, I listen to all of the episodes because I think of Everything Cookbooks as certainly a show for anyone who would ever want to write a cookbook or is thinking about writing a cookbook for people who already are writing cookbooks. But it also seems like a show that's for anyone who loves cookbooks. Do you agree? And is that sort of the intention? Yes. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I agree with that because I think there's just so many more opportunities to show like a little peek behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And even if somebody never really wants to write their own cookbook, there's that idea of like, how does this happen? How does it, how do things work? How, how does a book get put together? And I know I listen to a lot of podcasts about things that I never really want to do, but I just am curious on how they come to, to fruition. So this podcast is for people, yes, who want to write a cookbook and want to know sort of the inside baseball behind it, but also for people who just really love books. And I think by knowing all the work that goes into it, you can kind of appreciate that book on your shelf a little bit more when you know <laughs> how hard it is to test recipes and, and and put together a great photo shoot. And I mean, and Kristen, you, you know this because you're looking at cookbooks all the time for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Since we're all cookbook nerds here, <laughs> I know it's hard to pick a favorite cookbook, but um, if there are any cookbooks that jump to mind that you have really appreciated um, as inspiration in your own work um, for any particular reason, the design, the recipes, uh, the angle, anything, if anything jumps to mind for you all. I mean, there's such a range. Like I think back to the early books that inspired me and sort of gave me license to write the types of books that I ended up writing are things like James Peterson's sauce book. I step book mm-hmm. still just now. I don't use it a lot right now because it's not making a lot of sauces, but the information in it, the learning that's in it. And I think of, you know, Judy Rogers, um, Zuni Cafe, books like that, that just opened up worlds to me as a you know young cook. Mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, being introduced to both cookbooks written in Vietnamese a long time ago, before my family fled Vietnam in 1975 as well as books that were honestly part of the book of the month club, because that's how my family acquired our little mini um, cookbook collection. My sisters and I would trade off on signing up for the book club because it was a deal. And so we would get things like Julia Child's Mastering the Art, Irene Kuo's The Key to Chinese Cooking. I would also go to the library and take a look at like James Beer's American Cookery, but at home, we had these pirated copies that were photocopy versions of classic Vietnamese cookbooks that people had like brought um, to America and were photocopying and like distributing it through them throughout um, the community. And the one that I return to so often over the years is called Lam Bip Zai, which was written by um, a woman, a poet back in the 1940s. The name of the book translates to Cooking Well. And it's a book of domesticity, and she covers Vietnamese dishes as well as Chinese dishes and French dishes. And she's she writes in such a succinct manner, very, very much the way that Beard wrote um, recipes and other people wrote recipes, because, you know, way, way back in the middle and <laughs> before the, the mid-century, people had a certain common understanding of food techniques and flavors. 
And I think for my work, I'm always hoping that Asian food and ingredients and flavors and techniques will be part of the common canon and repertoire of people in America. So I strive for that ability to talk about food in a very fluid manner so that mm-hmm. it's not mysterious, exotic, or marginalized for people that they can say, oh, yeah, I know how to make a hamburger just as well as they know how to make bun mi. Mm-hmm. I can't say this has inspired my work, but maybe will inspire future work. Who knows? But I've been in the past couple of weeks revisiting the book Recipes from the Auberge of the Flowering Hearth. It's from the early 70s um, by Roy de Groot. And it's about one in in the Savoie. And the first half of the book is based, it's mostly memoir with lists of menus. And then the back is recipes. And it's just so evocative of this place and the seasons. I mean, it's very luxurious. He was like British aristocracy. So it is a bit like fantasy, I guess. Um, But one cool thing that I noticed um, recently about the recipes is each one has like, you know, two hours before you are going to serve one hour before you're going to serve. Those are the subheads throughout each recipe mm. because the recipes wow. are, you know, some of them take quite a bit of time and they're cooked. Many are cooked over an open fire at the end or can be adapted, but they're long cooking recipes. So I feel like that's really helpful for people um, to, to have that timeline within each recipe. Love seeing a solution like that. That's what's so valuable about understanding that cookbooks have this legacy and going back, like Andrea, going back to those um, books that came out earlier, there's there's things in there that, um, yeah, things evolve, people's pantries change, but a core of like what makes it a good book, those are those are the through lines. Um, but just also thinking about like how um, books really influence you when you're when you're young, when you're a kid and you have more time to maybe flip through books and just be inspired by a new world. Uh, I was thinking, um, I think I still have them buried somewhere in my shelf, but these books called Look and Cook by Anne Willan and mm. they're step-by-step photos of how to make, say, I don't know, probably um, chocolate mousse or these things that I thought were so glamorous when I was a kid. I'm just like, oh, I want to make this triple layer chocolate decadent cake because, of course, I mean, what kid wouldn't want that in their kitchen? And uh, but I thought those books were a great way of of being able to pair visuals especially when certain concepts are hard to understand in words that if you don't know what it means to fold something in, well, those books gave you those, those, uh, those visual, visual cues on, okay, fold it in. Now I understand what that means. You know, it just made me think that look and cook that visual representation. And that was a kind of groundbreaking in a way that series, but I always go back to the joy, the joy of cooking and the way I mean, Allie Slagle in her latest book is kind of playing with this format, this recipe format that, but having the ingredients throughout the procedure, um, different than visual recipe, but also playing with that recipe format. Yeah. I think there is like, as a cook, there is often a lot of inferring, I guess I'm doing. And I wonder with the, like helping people more with the managing their time in the kitchen, um, the example from Auberge of the Flowering Hearth is one good way. I may be like using the head notes as well. Yeah, it's it's something where I, when I watch my husband, who is not a trained or intuitive cook. Um, yeah, just the way he, he like moves around the kitchen and manages his time is like a little all over the place. I'm like, how could I help with that? You know, <laughs> in a recipe. <laughs> I, the challenge for me is always meeting people where they are. And, you know, Kristen, you talk about your husband. 
I mean, some people are intuitive cooks. They're trained cooks. They know they can multitask. They can be chopping while they're sauteing. They, you know, and then other people need it all stepped out. So yeah. it's, it's we talk about a lot. Yeah, and Kristen, I know mm-hmm. you do, and you're you know figuring out a genius recipe for me. So I mean, we could talk about this forever. But the genius recipes are the ones that, regardless of how you come at it, it still works. It still comes together. It's still perfect. And often. It's one where once you've once you've done it, the technique is so memorable or so unusual or so surprising or so simple that it's really easy to keep recreating, whether you follow the recipe again or end up riffing on it. Mm. Um, I feel like that's what makes, at least for me, the ones that I end up using again and again and again are the ones that I don't have to follow religiously because they were just so memorable. Hey, it's Kristen. We will be back with more from the hosts of the Everything Cookbooks podcast in just a moment. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. And we're back with the hosts of the Everything Cookbooks podcast. I love on the show when you share some of your own personal, like the things that vex you in in creating a cookbook uh, or recipe writing, because that's something that I've learned in in the cookbooks I've worked on, that like when you look at something in a cookbook and there was a decision made there were a million other decisions that could have been made and like a com- there had to be a compromise, you know, like even if a recipe spans to the second page, there's probably a reason for that or um, any other of the million decisions that going go into making a cookbook. I'd love to hear from each of you if there's one that really stands out to you that just is kind of your um, what's the word? I don't know, your white whale of, of recipe writing, <laughs> like the thing that is always a challenge and um you're always looking for the right solution to, but it, it ends up being a compromise in, in the book writing process. Plus more is needed. Ooh. Right. Plus more <laughs> as effing needed. <laughs> it, takes, it takes up so much space. It does. And we're all like counting character space on those ingredient lines, right? And we're thinking about layout. And then I've tried all kinds of things about one teaspoon fine sea salt. And they're like, no, one teaspoon fine sea salt comma, plus more as needed. (laughs) And then sometimes they'll change it, they being the copy editor, who is helpful and sometimes harmful to you in the middle of the night when you wake up thinking. (laughs) So so one time, so there was a copy editor who said one teaspoon, fine sea salt, comma, or as needed. And I was like, no, or as needed. 
because or as needed sounds like you friggin may not need that salt (laughs) and you need the salt, but it's maybe a teaspoon, you know, or maybe more. And I, I, I've seen in cookbooks, Carla Lali's um, music uh, book, and it's, you know, say one teaspoon fine sea salt, comma, plus more for seasoning. And I looked at Hmm. that, those plus more for seasoning. I thought, wow, that's a lot of character space. I feel like that's where you like switch to, you just call for salt and then you mm-hmm. put the, I mean, if you have more room in your method, that's where you add, you know, add one teaspoon salt with this stuff and then season with salt later. And then you get into the whole divided one teaspoon oh, yeah. salt comma divided. And then it's like, oh, but then you always put the one teaspoon salt in at the first use. And then you think, oh no, I was supposed to only use half a teaspoon there. And then the other half teaspoon over here. And sometimes when you're reading a recipe quickly, you kind of go, uh, but then usually I always add more salt anyway. So I'm like, that'll ah, be fine. Yeah. Well, actually one, one book that just uh, came out this year, the, um, and I know you had her on um, the podcast, um, Kristen, but um, Jesse Sheehan's um, Snackable Bakes. Mm-hmm. I thought that book was so smart on how she was able to put so much information on one page to make a very successful baking experience for somebody. It's just mm-hmm. like smart things like saying a flexible spatula instead of a rubber spatula, because the spatula might not be rubber. It might be silicone. And but we always just say rubber spatula is sort of like the default. And she thought about those details. And I just thought that book was just so well done and so smart. And all those things about, you know, user experience. She, I could tell she thought through all that. So I just think that book's just like super fun to bake from because I know she thought of the details that we love so much. Absolutely. Like she's factoring in when she's promising a book that is snackable and you can cook really fast. She's not discounting that you have to melt butter and wait for it to cool. Like she's building that into the way that you melt the butter. Right. Microwave all the way. And she leaves some of the butter still solid so that when she whisks it, it automatically cools it down. So it's like it melts and cools in the same step. Uh, It's so funny because I do that too, but I don't even think about it as it being Mm -hmm. something worth sharing. So sometimes sometimes I think like... Being able to identify those things that you've like learned to do to like, I guess I, I would think of it as a cheat, right? <laughs> but it's not a cheat. It's it's really awesome. Yeah. And spell it out in the recipe without overspelling it out. Mm-hmm. That's always the challenge, right? How much do you explain versus, you know, giving too much information will be overwhelming, but you want to hold, you know, you want to be there with the person cooking it. Yeah, I think that's probably the thing I don't say vexes me, but where the most work goes in is. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I like to teach through recipes, so I like to put a lot of information in my recipes, and then, but then I know they're too long, and so finding that balance of having someone open up my books and go, oh my god, I'm never going to make that. It's three pages long, mm-hmm. and it's really just this voice that can't stop talking. <laughs> so figure out what the mom, you're so deadline. chatty. <laughs> no. On the page, on the page, I can be. Yeah, how do you make that decision? comes down to layout right i mean like you get to that point where you get to first pages and you're making cuts because you've only got your budget at a certain number of page you know count to meet your price point and then all of a sudden your head note seems like a journal entry that you really should take down to a post-it size Mm -hmm. if there's one thing you wish that you know readers of cookbooks knew about the behind the scenes what would it be? That's a really good question. I think one of the things I want people to take away is that 
you do it because you love it. You don't do it to become famous or to make gobs of money. Those aren't the right ways to get into cookbooks because we can tell you that the money and the fame, like it's not really, <laughs> this is a niche you know, field. So you, you really want to love it and you really want to go in and play the long game and become part of the community. And we're just giving you a little peek behind the curtain and, and making maybe hoping our listeners become part of that, that larger uh, cookbook loving community, I think. Yeah, I think that um, a good cookbook thinks about the cook and the user experience that we talked about. And we try so much to craft instructions and ingredients that allow the book to be your friend, your like, not, it doesn't have to be your best friend in the kitchen, but your long term <laughs> friend in your kitchen that will give you really great memories and lots of takeaways that you can use. For a long time. And all of that, it's different than I think writing a novel per se or nonfiction where you think about your readers, but not down to, you know, how they perceive the or what they're experiencing in terms of the temperature of the butter when it's being melted so that they don't get frustrated and they don't walk away feeling angry about not use as much as the recipe and not going back to try it. And I think that that is, you know, that level of thoughtfulness in writing is really important for people to understand that that's what goes into like a really good book and a really good recipe. I tell people I love to follow recipes that are well-written because they teach me something and I feel like I have someone in my kitchen that, and whether I know that person or not. And Kristen, you referred to um, Richard Sachs's book in um, Genius Baking and I got that book and I love it. <laughs> absolutely yeah. love his voice and um his writing and i felt like you know what he's not around anymore but i have a friend in the kitchen Ooh, that gave me chills <laughs> andrea has this tendency to do that it's always hard to follow <laughs> yeah. i know you never want to follow andrea because she it's always like the, the perfect she encapsulation the heart. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh you guys <laughs> no i think it's a, i i think it's an appreciation um you know Kristen, you asked about what listeners hope to get from it. But I think it's, you know, there's that sort of how-to element and to appreciate all that goes into the cookbooks, but also appreciation appreciation of the genre and to branch out and to to discover new books. And I love when we include, you know, what we're looking at or reading from and to just to celebrate cookbooks, to celebrate cookbook stores, all the people that work on them, all the different things that go into them. I really just think of it as sort of a love letter to cookbooks and even though we gripe and talk about how hard it is and all the things that go into it but just an appreciation for it as a as a um a really joyful part of you know certainly my life and my library and everything that goes into it yeah i guess there's wisdom out there about enjoying the process or the journey or the pursuit at least as much as the accomplishment and so books take you know a tremendous amount of work and emotional energy and when I was first working on books, I used to think like, I'll feel so happy when I have this book. And then afterwards, I was like, actually, I really loved the writing of the book. And so if you can fall in love with like that process, even though it's, you know, at times challenging and draining, all the better. I don't know. Or I mean, I think that's how the, the best work comes. Like when you fall in love with the process rather than the outcome. 
Thanks for listening. And my thanks to Andrea, Molly, Kate, and Kristen for joining us this week. If you like this conversation, be sure to check out their podcast, Everything Cookbooks, which is linked in our show notes and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. You will learn so much, just like I have. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutchface Studios. If you have a genius recipe from a cookbook new or old, I would always love to hear about it at genius at food52.com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. Or just send this episode to someone who loves reading cookbooks as much as they like cooking from them. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thank you.